Do you feel like your business is going around on a merry-go-round? Well, I've got news for you. This episode is sponsored by my incredible webinar series called Jump and Scale. It gets you off that merry-go-round and up to the next level in your business. It's called Jump and Scale, and it's free for you right now. Just go ahead and sign up at jumpconsulting.net forward slash scale. You will learn how to grow your business, increase your staff, and not be held hostage to your business. So go ahead, sign up for free. That's jumpconsulting.net forward slash scale. I'll see you inside. Welcome to Bella in Your Business, where Bella will discuss anything and everything about your pet sitting business to help you land on target. So get ready. Bella's got your shoot. Let's jump. Welcome, everybody. This is Bella Vasta from Jump Consulting, and I'm here with a great friend and someone I really admire, Beth Green. I'm sorry, Bethany Buster Green, Beth Green. What do you (laughs) want to be called? Because you have an identity crisis like I do. I know, right? Beth is completely fine. My mom calls me Bethany when she's mad, so still uh-huh. at 40. So, okay. uh, yeah, Beth so is fine. you're Beth then because you're not yeah. in trouble today. <laughs> Absolutely. Beth is an awesome pet sitter in Kentucky. She owns Paws Pet Care. And I want you all to know that this podcast kind of started because we were on the phone chatting away about Bethany's business. And Bethany's been following close the whole IC employee debate. And she is one of the most informed pet sitters I've ever met. She's constantly questioning, constantly scrutinizing, constantly making sure that the decisions she's making are still the ones that match up with her needs and wants and risk evaluation when it comes down to it. So without further ado, Bethany had gotten a meeting with her attorney And Beth, what I love about what you did here is you didn't just like go and sit and talk for an hour and that was it. I mean, I saw the three page rebuttal that you kind of got from her in writing, re-explaining what her conclusions were in her professional opinion. Of course, not ever taking away from litigation. It's just clearly her opinion, which that's what it all comes down to in the end. But I love how in depth it went. And today I want to talk with you about operations, supply, how the sitters are assigned work, the control over sitters, the skill set they have, the length of employment, methods of payment, and relationship of you and your staff member, your IC. So for all those who are listening, that's kind of where we're going to go. We definitely could talk for hours and hours and hours, but we're going to actually try to keep this kind of short and sweet. We want you all to know that, first of all, I'm not against independent contractors. I just don't think that it's a risk that many people are willing to take. Therefore, I feel that employees are really the safest way to go. A lot of people I see using independent contractors are using them as employees and calling them independent contractors. Absolutely. Beth is not one of those people, which is why I think her and I have been able to have this awesome mutual respect for one another. I mean, we're at polar opposite ends, but we can have an honest discussion about it because we're both coming from a factual basis. And Beth, I love that we're doing this today because I'm sorry I'm going on and on, but there's so much like there's so many people out there that are helping pet sitters and saying that they can have independent contractors and here's how you do it. 
but they themselves are breaking the rules blatantly on their website. And I've tried to ask them to go toe to toe with me with a mutually respectful discussion like we are. And for the love of God, you're the only one that'll talk to me. (laughs) Well, it's been personal or what, but thank you for being here today. You're welcome. It's a journey to the truth and it's a never ending journey because things are constantly changing. Right. So to be a responsible business owner, you've got to keep investigating and researching and making sure that you're always doing what you're supposed to be doing. Exactly. So why don't you tell us how this journey began? What happened when you first started? What prompted you to actually call a lawyer and then how'd that meeting go? As you know, Bella, because I'm in your networking group and in your coaching group, there's a lot going on in small businesses right now across the United States with contractors versus employees and not just small businesses and large businesses too. And I believe for several reasons, and I'm not a politician by any stretch of the imagination, (laughs) but I believe for several reasons that the IRS, and we've discussed this in our groups too, is really cracking down on making sure that people have their employees or contractors categorized right or whatever the word is. I think is the way that they're compliant. We could kind of guess as to why, but one thing that my lawyer did say is that maybe because of the free health care thing, I mean, the country needs more tax money and they need more income coming in. And so what better way to go after that than to start dinging people for back taxes and penalties and stuff if they're not classifying their workers properly? I think what it was is that in June, they came out and said that they're putting more money towards small business audits than ever before to make sure specifically that workers are being classified the right thing. And to go off of your point, you said healthcare. The reason why that's important is because their argument, in my understanding, is that if you have a worker that gets hurt on the job and they're an independent contractor, then they're going to end up on the government system and the government's going to be helping them pay for those, or they could be helping pay for those injuries and things. So if, if they're properly classified and they're properly taken care of, it decreases the liability for the government. That's one of the many, many arguments. So go on. So we can see where this is happening with corporations like Uber. They recently have been investigated and they have to make some changes. And this is a worldwide business that just took off and grew very quickly. So with our conversations, with these things that I'm seeing in the news and the things that I'm reading and studying online and uh, best business practices. I want to make sure that my business is running the way that it's supposed to be and that my people are classified properly. And, you know, I needed to know 100% for sure if they were, if they weren't what I needed to do in order to rectify that or to make the decision, the informed, educated decision for myself to switch them to employees. So that's why I I met with a local attorney. And I think that is so important that you meet with a local employment attorney. Like I actually went to the attorney that someone would hire if they (laughs) thought that if they thought that I classified them improperly. You mean you didn't go on Facebook and ask customers from around the country what they thought? You went to I know, right? I mean, I think it's great that we can all discuss these things being from different states and different countries. But the bottom line is, is that you need to go to someone who understands the laws uh, surrounding your business, which there are very few attorneys that are familiar with pet sitting and dog walking businesses. Yes. Because we're really kind of uh, exploding 
We're still um, in the infancy. We're still just the industry yes. is still beginning. And with the yes. uh, rovers and the dog vacays of the world kind of coming into it, it's clouding what an actual professional pet sitter does. So, yeah. So you right. went to the lawyer and what did you say to her? Like help? Or did you yeah. ask her about certain areas or did she, or did she ask you to supply anything? How did that conversation yeah. go? So I requested a meeting with her first because I wanted her to be completely clear on what I needed from her. So, you know, I told her I would pay for the meeting, um, you know, whatever I needed to do. So she did a, a consultation with me and she did it for me for free, which was great. And she was very intrigued about our business model because so again, no questions. Yes. She asked a lot of questions because so many attorneys, especially here in Kentucky, y'all, I mean, there's not very many big pet sitter and dog walker companies here, but honestly, I think across the United, across the nation, it's just an exploding thing like we talked about. So she asked me a ton of questions. I actually spent two hours with her in that initial meeting because she had so many questions. Um, She asked me to provide her with my entire packet that I give to contractors when I go through the hiring process, Mm -hmm. which included my contractor contract, a mutual indemnification, non-disclosure type document. And then I have a workman's comp waiver. I have a document that I called guidelines that kind of, I guess what you could compare that to would be an employee manual. Only I tried to be very careful about how I worded it because when you hire contractors, you can expect them to have to meet industry standards. So that's the expectation. And we can get into that later. But anyway, it said guidelines and, you know, background check waiver and things of that nature. So I gave all of that to her. So she reviewed um, all of that stuff and you had a nice long discussion She actually reviewed everything from the point of, she reviewed my software. She reviewed my intake as to how, how clients came to me and then how they were assigned out to the contractors, how you operated all my operations. I think that's, that's so pivotal because I think often we think that maybe we could go to a lawyer, sit down, try to get a free consultation for a half hour and be in and out, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And then we like we get the answer that we're looking for. And then we say, oh, but my lawyer said, without really having this in-depth evaluation. And I think it's a really important point. And I'm glad that you're, you're making that clear to everyone listening right now. Well, not only that, that meeting, I left her with some of the case studies that you had done. I told her about my business coach. I wanted her to see clearly both sides of the independent contractor versus employee thing going on in this industry. And she was so intrigued and she wanted to do some case studies and stuff that she asked me for four weeks. So fantastic. um, And just for people listening, uh, last year I published maybe half a dozen audit case studies, we called them. So basically I found pet sitters around the country who were actually audited and I interviewed them because again, oftentimes there's a lot of speculation out there and people just throw around the audit word without really actually understanding. And there's some people that beat an audit, but there's some people that were audited two times in a row or Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of stories. So if you're interested in that, you can just Google jump consulting audit, a whole bunch will come up, but that's really 
cool. And I'm flattered that, you know, you gave that stuff to her to show her the real true pulse of the industry. She was very impressed at your research and at what work that you had done. You know, when I met with her the last time, there was a lot of merit to the work that you had done. So um, we'll talk about that later. But this was very serious for me. I gave her a retainer fee. I mean, to me, you have to invest into your business. And if you invest in it and you're running it properly and everything, then it's going to pay off. So she called me back and went over every single piece of documentation that I have in my contractor packet and explained to me what changes I need to make. And then we really sat and talked about the pros and cons of contractors versus employees for our business model. And the bottom line was that, and I sent Bella the, um, the, the letter that she letter, that yeah. she left me, was that she feels like that the way I run my business with the few changes that she suggested to me, you know, aired on the side of I was fine with contractors, but it is a definite risk. Yes. Can I quote a sentence that I really loved yes. in her thing that she gave you? She said, Your decision of whether to convert an employee or an employer operation will depend on your tolerance for risk associated with the lawsuit by a worker, either for injury or pay issues, or an investigation by the Department of Labor, state or federal. Given the nature of your business, the likelihood for personal injury workman's compensation lawsuit is higher than a department investigation or wage issue attack. So even if you have responsible and strong arguments that the more of the factors tend toward independent contractor than employee employer. So I'm so glad you shared that with me because that was like all the validation that I've been saying for years and years and years and years. Everyone always says employees are ICs. And mm-hmm. I always say, and I've said this in podcasts, in interviews, in articles, it comes down to how much risk do you want to take? That's all it comes down to. When you can answer that question, then you know which one you want. I think for her, the fear of the backlash from choosing ICs over employees, like I think what she was saying in that sentence was that it's not so much that I am in danger of being audited, like out of the blue, like knocking on my door. Hey, we don't think you're classified right. The danger comes with a workman's comp. You have more of a direct risk of that. And the articles and the research I've done on workman's compensation claims and dog bites. I mean, my very last blab I did, we did an interview with a dog that they thought was totally fine. And all of a sudden it just has, it just needs two seconds, you know, and all of a sudden you're bit and all of a sudden your staff member is left holding a really hefty bill or not knowing what to do. And yeah, you're right. I think your chances of getting a dog bite are more than an audit. But the dog bite kind of starts the wheels turning towards going down the highway of being audited in the end. And I think that's what she was trying to say. And um, I completely agree with that. We have this industry, we're dealing with animals, animals bite. Mm -hmm. So you have to be so careful and you can never be too careful. And still, if you're careful, you could get a bite. We came very close this week to having a bite. So I completely agree with that. The bottom line is how much risk are you willing to take? And of course, making sure you have all your ducks in a row helps, but you'll never know from day to day. Or So you have to be comfortable with that risk. You're absolutely right. And it goes into the whole, you need to know yourself in order to have a good business, you know? So let's go down these things because, like I said, we could go on for three hours, but I'd like to try to avoid that a little bit, but still touch on all the points. So 
Tell me about, let's talk about operations. What did she say specifically about your operations? And I want to remind everyone that Bethany has made the educated decision that she is comfortable with her independent contractors. And I think this is really important for everyone to hear because we're not bashing it. We're encouraging you to know the ins and outs, you know? Right. So tell us about so, the operations, Bethany. One of the pluses for me that she was very intrigued with was my software. I use Leash Time. I know some of you guys out there are using some other things. But one of the most important features for me using contractors in Leash Time is two things. First of all, we have an unassigned board in Leash Time. And I put new clients and unassigned visits on that board in leash time. And my contractors can log in and look at all of the visits that are unassigned and they have to physically claim them. So they are taking, yes, they are taking the jobs. And that's very important because I want to take as much of that out of my hands and I want it to be, they are picking the jobs. The second feature in leash time that is really good for me having contractors is they have an availability calendar or a sitter time off calendar is what it's called. So the girls can log in as soon as we decide that we want to contract with them, they can log in and put in any and all availability. So they can put time off from Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to noon, or if they're going on vacation. And if I try to assign a visit to them during the time that they have requested off, it kicks it back out as an assign. So I can't make them work, which is part of running your business with contractors. You can't make them work when they don't want to. They get to decide when they want to work and when they don't want to work. Right. As a contrast here, Business owners who don't want the risk of having people say no to them all the time and want the flexibility to say, you're working this one, you're working that one, and that's it, aren't good candidates to have an IC operation. That's awesome. Tell me, you brought up a good point about leash time. And tell me, do you have your GPS turned on or off on leash time? I give that because, again, the farther you can go away from looking like you're trying to control a situation or control a contractor, the safer you are. So whenever I talk to my contractors, before I contract with them, I tell them all the features of leash time and I explain to them that it is a benefit to them if they're ever accused of not being at a visit to turn that feature on. But Uh I cannot make them use that feature. Right. Fortunately, I have a very close relationship with our contractors. We have a Facebook group that we post tips and tricks in and this and that and the other. Most of them want to use that feature and they do use it. Leash time, their GPS feature is kind of glitchy anyway. So honestly, if you hire great contractors and great people, then you're not going to come across the problems that make you need to use that kind of feature anyway, if you know what I'm saying. So am I hearing you say you trust the people that you hire? (laughs) Okay, good. I like that. That's why you and I get along. Tell me about supplies. Let's talk about supplies because in my last podcast, I interviewed Joette White of Park City Pet Sitter. And could you believe that she was audited and she had independent contractors. She's in Texas and she appealed it. And on one of the appeals, they actually tried to tell her that because a pet parent supplied a dog bowl that her staff member was being supplied with supplies and like they were supposed to bring the dog bowl. It was so bizarre. And it just goes to show that, you know, it just comes down to an actual auditor's 
opinion. But yeah, talk to actually, me about I, your discussion with supplies with your attorney. I actually mentioned that case study to the attorney, and she thought that was absolutely ridiculous. Like, yeah. yeah, she said, I, I can't even imagine. I know. But, um, so when you have contractors, you cannot supply them with supplies. They are responsible for their own supplies. And I know we've talked about this in our group, and Julie Frederick has mentioned that she couldn't even get her contractors to get, get insurance. proper key tags or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a key box at a UPS store, a uh -huh. big box. I mean, it is the biggest one that they have. And inside that box, there's little boxes with my sitter's names on them. And that's how we exchange keys. So mm -hmm. they all have a key to the UPS box and I have a key. It's 24 hour access. So I go drop their keys off there and they return their old keys that they're done with. And it works inside that box. I have a little box of white key tags for them to when they go on their get acquainted visits and they bring the second key back or whatever to put names and stuff. So that is the only thing that I supply my sitters with. The mm -hmm. only thing. Mm -hmm. But I in a way, it's kind of like it's there for the taking. It could be argued, you know? <laughs> yes. And that's what she said. And um, I do tell them and I remind them constantly that they can get them at Walmart for $3 and to keep right. them in their car. And this is what I do. And this is my suggestion as a sitter who's done this for you know the last six years. And I have not had any problems with that. And she said she didn't think that that was a big deal. It couldn't be used against me, but literally that is it. And I tell my sitters and it's in my little orientation thing, whatever, uh -huh. that the client typically supplies everything that they would need in order to take care of the pet. But little things like an extra leash or a notebook and pen or whatever that they need, a uh, mileage log, uh -huh. anything like that, they are responsible for having. Right. And I just drive that home all the time. So in our server group, when I do tips and tricks, I load like 50 tips and tricks into Meet Edgar <laughs> that goes to my private Facebook group right. for my sitters. And I have hashtag PPC pet sitter tips and tricks. Yeah. And they're always suggestions. It's not training. It's right, always right, right. industry suggestions. And yeah. every time I think of something like that, like key tags and stuff, I add that as a tip and trick and it cycles through and reminds them all the time. I love it. For those of you listening, meet Edgar. It started maybe a year ago. It's, it's a really amazing thing. You could schedule posts to come out on Facebook, but the minute they post, they start dying and they're mm -hmm. dead. Uh, with me, Edgar, what it does is it reposts your posts. It recycles them and um, mm -hmm. it's very robust. So it's 50 bucks a month. Totally worth it. MeetEdgar.com. Quick little commercial for them. We get nothing for it, but it's just yeah, right. amazing. <laughs> okay. So that talked about supplies, which is really great. And we talked about how the sitters were assigned work with that job board, which I think is yes. just fantastic. I know that there's a, a very famous company that uses Power Pet Sitter. And what they do is they still ask. So I guess it's not like a job board, but they say that all of the instructions come through that, through your yes. system, just like leash That's timer. right. So your, yep. your sitters aren't getting the instructions from you. That's right. They're getting Absolutely. it directly from where the client put it in, which I think is really important. So if you yes. have independent contractors, you really need a client management system because otherwise right. everything's in writing and you're screwed. I mean, there's no one other way to say that. One of the important things about processes that she mentioned, even in the letter, was that the client specifies the service, the time, 
and all the instructions. Right. So it is coming straight from the client if you use a client profile management system because they have to independently log in and create their profile. And then they tell me, you know, usually the first time you help them build their first schedule and then they have the opportunity to log in and request their schedules moving forward. So... Yes, a client profile management system is very, very important if you're operating with contractors. If for nothing else to be able to prove that you aren't controlling them, you can prove that they're accepting the jobs. You can prove that the clients are logging in and and putting their instructions in. So definitely. There's like no way around it. I mean, I would go on a limb and say right now that it is a must have if you have independent contractors. And if you don't have an online scheduling system, you're screwed. I mean, you know me and if you, a shooter, and that's exactly what I'd tell everyone. If you have a scheduling system or not, and you are assigning your sitters jobs without asking them if they want to take the job, then you're setting yourself up for trouble. Oh, yeah. I mean, even if I can't get a hold of them immediately through leash time or email, I'll text my sitter the schedule, a picture of it, and say, do you want this job? So they respond back to me, and it's just laying the groundwork and the proof that they are accepting the jobs. And if you're assigning them jobs and they say, I can't do this job, and you say, too bad, then they're not contractors. Right, right. Or if you're posting and saying, my contractors won't take any jobs, it's like, oh, that's their choice. That's why they're contractors, yeah. you know? Right. So talk to me about the length of employment and employment Mm -hmm. contracts and when your contracts expire. Okay. So first of all, do not buy your contract or contracts online somewhere. (laughs) Do not go to a site and get templates. I can say that because I did it and um, (laughs) I've had to change my contracts because You need a contract that's built around your business model. Although maybe when you start out, if you think it's okay to get a template or whatever, fine for 99 bucks or whatever, but you're going to have to. No, 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 no. Let me, let me, I'm going to say one thing. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not giving like legal advice, but you go call your lawyer today and you tell me that if in your contract, it doesn't say the very last like section or wherever you want it, honestly, this contract is bound by the laws of Arizona, by the laws of Kentucky, by the laws of California. Those forms that you're buying online are not intended for you to just slap on your website and use them. They're intended right. to be a base point for you to yes. mold into what you need. Yes. And as a coach, I see people's contracts and things all the time, and it just kills me because there's that. And then there's also the clause right before that usually, which is arbitration. So Beth, you and I have a disagreement. I'm going to sue you. No, actually, we need to go to arbitration first. Right. As mandated by the state of Kentucky. Right. Now I have to get my happy butt to Kentucky. (laughs) I think that those online ones that you can purchase give you a false sense of security. And that I think that some, if you pulled out a contractor and you said, what does this mean? they would probably have a hard time explaining to you the language of their own contract yeah. because they bought it. And if you paid for it, it should be right. Right. Yeah. So that's why we're saying like, you shouldn't buy them offline. You should write down in your own words, what kind of things that you need. You can look at them for guides, but then you take that all just like you take your employee manual. When you have, when you do that, you go through the employee quick start program, you do the bare bones of that employee manual, and then you take that to your lawyer and you say, here, make this legit. Yeah, exactly. So keywords, local 
employment attorney who knows what they're doing, make sure they review your documents and that you know exactly what they mean and that they fit what you're trying to accomplish in your business. That's you, Ross, so, girl. I just love talking with you. <laughs> I mean, you're going to find out the hard way one day and hopefully... Yeah, like don't not, find out the hard way. Like, yeah, let's exactly. help you avoid it. I mean... It's not our first rodeo, you know? Right. And we come so, from both ends of the spectrum, and we're really just seriously trying to help people. So your contractor agreement, yeah, your first one, if you have a contractor agreement, if you have contractors, it needs an expiration date, okay? So it doesn't auto-renew every year. You need to have them sign new contracts annually, or this contract expires in six months, or whatever. So that is one mistake that I had made in the past, but that I had rectified before I even went to see my attorney. So my contracts are redone annually. Hey Beth, from a business standpoint, that could be a good incentive for raises or demotions or something like that, right? Like you're like, Hey, you know what? You're doing really great. So this next contract, I'm willing to offer you more or the next contract. I'm not really willing to offer you that much. Right. You know, it also gives you the opportunity if you need to and you can wait that long. I mean, depending on the situation to not renew a contract. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I'm not going to renew your contract this year. Yeah. So contractor agreements should have an expiration date. And one of the things that I had that I have to correct in my contract was my Mm non-solicit. I'm looking at it right now. So you cannot have a non-compete in your contractor contracts that makes them employees. So make sure it is a non-solicit. You actually want them to have different jobs, right, Beth? Yes. If they're only working for you and they have no other pet sitting jobs and you are their sole income, guess what? You're an employee. Right. I mean, that's difficult because you've almost got to make sure that they've got a legit business going. They're registered with the state. They have their insurance. They have other means of income, not just you. Because I purchased this contract, I had a non-solicit for a period of five years from the date of expiration. And she was like, that is way too long. I wouldn't do anything more than two years and maybe even a year. Because if you're renewing the contract annually, then that's going to renew every year. So she said that was like a big red flag. And the length of that. And she asked me why. And I was embarrassed because I was like, "Uh, because it said that when I bought it. (laughs) You know know what, though? That's what that's what I hope this kind of does is it helps make people think about stuff because so much of the time we do get caught in this whole. Well, that's what so and so does or that's what. Mm -hmm. And we forget to do our own checks and balances, which is why I have you on today. Because you did. And I want to be clear to everyone listening now and in the future, we are not giving any legal advice. We are, we are no. explaining our stories individually. Mm-hmm. And that's being so kind and so transparent and so helpful to everyone by letting you know and hopefully inspiring you to do your own research and talk to your own lawyer or go find yes. one if you don't have one. You know, you mentioned the arbitration thing. My contract has an, had an indemnification clause. Okay. And it said that we agree, the both of us, so the contractor and my company agrees to indemnify each other and its agents for damages it may suffer. Yeah. My attorney said that that should not be a mutual indemnification. It should say that the contractor indemnifies my business from any damages, including legal fees, expenses, blah, blah, blah. She said that I either needed to take that out completely 
or to change the language. So that's the only other thing that I had to change in my contract. This stuff is so good. And I'm so like, I just want to hug you because I'm so proud of you for like actually doing this stuff that so many of us should always be doing, you know, and it's not just an IC employee thing. This goes for people with employees, you know, you can't be creating your employee manual and then giving it out without a lawyer reviewing it, you know, it's a legal document and that's really long. (laughs) Um, And the same thing with our contracts with our clients. I mean, it's just such a good point in general. I see so many pet sitting contracts that release them of liability for everything. Right. It's like, well, wait a minute. Why am I hiring a professional pet sitter? If you're like saying I'm not going to be held responsible. So contract law is just something that really should be a part of everyone's business. Talk to me about the method of payment, Beth. How does the client pay? How do you pay your people? What did your attorney say about that? Okay, so the client is invoiced by the job and they pay through our system, which is completely fine. But one of the other great things about leash time for me, for contractors, is that the contractor has their own little app, you know, just like Power Pet Sitter or whatever. And one of their things that they can do through that app is submit an invoice to me internally through the system. So it shows up on my board, on my admin board through leash time as in contractor invoice and it has their name and I click on it and it has it laid out by each visit and the amount that I owe them. And so they have to submit invoices to me. And if you're running your business with contractors and you're not having them submit invoices to you, then you are misclassifying your contractors or that could be a big red flag. The second thing about payment is that you do not want to have a record of paying like payroll, like the same day every week. Your contractor should be able to submit an invoice to you by the job or my rules are I will pay an invoice every seven days, once in a seven day period or by the job. And I have contractors that invoice me both ways and completely fine. It irritated me a little bit to have to log in to my bank and pay somebody every day or whatever, but it's part of having contractors. Yeah. It's part of something that you accepted. So alternatively, when you have employees, you can say you're paid on the 5th and 30th of every month. Payroll could take five seconds and you get direct deposit. Well, with independent contractors, you chose to do it this other way, which is with the law. (laughs) If you're audited, there's like a checklist of 10 things. And actually, depending on the state you're in or who your auditor is, and we've talked about that, they could be going by different checklists. I haven't quite figured that one out. But the one that my attorney talked to me, there's like 10 things. And basically... What's going to happen is the more things that you are compliant with, the less chances of them saying you've misclassified your contractor. So if you're doing seven out of 10 things properly and there's kind of an eh on the other couple of things, then that lessens the chance of them saying that you've misclassified your contractors. The other thing that we talked about was this little document I have here. It's not an employee manual because we don't do employee manuals for contractors. Everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. But contractors do have to operate within industry standards. Mm -hmm. So you can't expect them to meet industry standards. And what she told me was that because this is such a new and upcoming industry that there really wasn't any standards written or, you know, painter contractors industry standard is that you don't get paint on the ceiling and that the holes are covered properly. You know, there is a standard in the industry for proper paint job, right? Right. So it's kind of not like that with pet sitters because we're not old enough yet or not 
you know, the, right. we're still growing. But anyway, I and have it's to, such a unique and customized service that it's yes. kind of like, okay, the pet's still alive and the bowls are cleaned. Like, yeah. you know, there's so much gray area. Yes. Mm-hmm. I have to change the verbiage in here. So guidelines, bad. I have to put nothing or suggestions. The word suggestions. Isn't it funny how it just comes down to all these semantics? I mean, yes. The oh. good thing I had in here was... I have contractor supplies, and it says that because you're a contractor, you're responsible for all your supplies. Here's some supplies you may want to carry in your car, you know, suggestions. And then Uh all through this document, I have contractor supplies, contractor paperwork, contractor attire. She said was awesome because it says contractors are not held to any particular standards in clothing or attire because you cannot make a contractor dress in branded clothing and all of that. The right, contractors. Right, right. I did say it is suggested that you wear appropriate clothing for pet sitting and dog walking, including proper shoes. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of, that was my suggestion. Right. And then one of the things in here that I have to change is I put contractor payroll. Don't use the uh, word payroll. Yeah. You can have a payroll. <laughs> Yeah, I have to change it to invoicing. And then I had in there pay periods. Uh So, you know, just little things like that. And then I kind of explained all of our services and what they entailed. I have to kind of make some changes in that because she said, are you saying they have to do things in a certain order? Or And I'm like, no, no, I'm not saying that at all. This is just kind of a general guideline, again, as to what needs to be accomplished at each visit. Mm-hmm. I have in my notes, no control of work order. And that uh-huh. was her word. So, you know, I have to either decide not to give this out anymore or to really rethink some of the things that I have included in it. There's good things in it that are completely fine. And then there's other things in it that are going to have to be changed. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say to the pet sitter who you know, they were a hobby sitter or whatever. Then they joined a national organization. And then that national organization was like, oh, here are the industry standards. This is what you should do. And it's basically like a cut, copy paste kind of thing. And they just go on their fancy way with no support of a CPA or a lawyer or anything like that. They just go with industry standards, quote unquote. What would I say? Mm-hmm. Heck, I don't even know. All of my services have just come from experience of what a client expects. So I would say don't cut and paste anything from anyone. Everything that you do for your business should be unique to what you are trying to accomplish in your business. I see it happen a lot. Like it happens with pricing. It happens with branding. It happens with what people put on their website they kind of start selling our industry more and they not only selling it, but they also kind of start doing what everyone else is doing. Yes. I know you remember a couple of years ago when we started really being vocal about the whole no time limit thing, you know, yeah. when everyone charged for 30 minutes and we really started pushing for no time limit. And this goes the same with policies and procedures. And I guess what I'm saying is I encourage everyone to push against the norm, uh-huh. figure out if it actually matches up with, your risk reward tolerance, find out if it matches up with your values and your goals for your business. Do you want to be doing 30 pet sits a day to make your goal? Or do you want to be doing 15? Do you want to be able to have a staff that you can schedule or a staff that you can really just 
know that they all have their own micro businesses and you're contracting with them and you don't have to like control anything and you could just step back, you know? I think that what some people do, because this is again, such a growing industry. And I think that, and I'm not stereotyping anyone. I'm just saying, I think that what some things that I've seen happen in Louisville, Kentucky is that a person will see my pet sitting and dog walking business is the biggest here. And they'll be like, Oh, I love pets (laughs) and I can do this and I can make a quick buck or I can do whatever when they have absolutely no idea of, they don't have goals and they haven't made a business plan and they don't know, you know, where they want to go and, or they don't know that they are never going to make any money charging $15 for a 30 minute pet sit but they see someone that's kind of built something and then they copy everything. I think that's just doing yourself such a disservice. I wish in the beginning that I had actually taken the time to do more research. And, you know, I did, I went against the grain with pricing and, and some stuff on my own when I started mine, but part of the best experience about this business has been learning and growing it. Mm-hmm. You have to really understand who you are as a person yes. in order to make your business unique because yes. I kind of feel like it's like your style, you know, like you yes. can't style your clothes and figure out what you want to wear that day unless you know, right. and your business is so much similar to that. And when right. people feel stale in their business, it's because their business is lacking identity, I feel like. And the more identity you can put into your business, the more you'll stand out from every. There's so many websites that when I coach people, it's one of the things I love working on. They might have like an awesome name or an awesome logo, but it's not translated through the whole thing. Like yours is so upbeat and cheerful and awesome. And you have an awesome brand to you, but there's other websites you go on and it says like, your pet will be, you know, safe and secure in your own home. No travel trauma. We'll turn the blinds to the lived in look like they just sell the industry. And it's the same thing, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. I think that you have to make it personal. And I think that if you do, that's, what's going to set you apart and your clients are going to feel that passion and feel that you are different and they're going to want to be a part of that. It doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if your prices are higher or not, you know, I mean, so if your passion and your personality are reflected through your work, then yeah, it's so much better than the cookie cutter. It is. It's the difference between when you go to a website and you're just like, oh my God, I have to have them to the point yeah. that you're, or you have some sort of an emotional reaction to yes. the ones that you don't. Now, the very last point that you had written, and I'm not quite sure if we actually touched on it or not, you said relationship between employee, employer. Did we talk about that yet? Well, no. And some of the things that she asked me about regarding that was, do I require like meetings. And I guess relationship would also be like the requiring GPS check-ins and having requirements for them that is outside the scope of a contractor versus employee relationship. So you have to be very careful about, even in my group, in my private group, because nowadays anybody can take a screenshot of anything. I have to be very careful about the way that I word things using again, the word expectations and stuff like that. So you just, again, I mean, if you decide to have contractors, um, I'm going to say, I'm going to admit that employees is the easier way to go. Yeah. There's so much less risk involved. And so myself and my business partner, who's also my husband had to really make a decision as to, you know, which road we wanted to travel down. Yeah. And even my attorney said that she felt like it was her opinion that our business model leaned more towards using contractors. 
But she's not going to be the person to do the audit or make the decision if that should happen. So that's when she said that it just depends on how much risk that you're willing to entail. I love that saying. How much risk are you willing to take? Yeah. Yeah. And there's just so many good things about this whole experience. And I just want to reiterate again how much respect I have for you for going through this because I don't know too many pet sitters that have independent contractors that do it. A lot of them are, and I don't mean to sound mean, but this is my experience, ostriches. Like their head is in the sand and they're just like, la, 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 la. And the toughest part is I've seen through the audit case studies that I've done It really comes down to the person who's auditing you. It's not black and white. It's very gray. My attorney said that exact same, that exact same thing. And I did not try to pull that quote out of her because I wanted to see if she would say it. And she did. She said, it really depends on, she said, it's not, it's not fair, but it's like, they don't even have their own standards by which to measure someone. It is depends on the auditor that you get. Yeah. And you've got the federal department of labor, you've got the state department of labor, you've got the IRS and there's like a uh, industry or workman's something, or there's six agencies that can audit you, you know, I mean, it's like, and sometimes they contradict each other. I had one of my audit case studies, the gal was audited by the state twice because once you get audited, usually they come back like a year later, I've seen to see if you're actually making those improvements. Right. And she made the improvements that they told her to do. Like, you know, jump through this hoop. She's like, okay, we're going to jump through this hoop. The next audit, someone else comes back and says, I'm docking you for jumping through that hoop. She's like, what the hell do you mean? You just told me to do that. And they're like, sorry, the administration has changed. You know, president's changed. We have a different focus. And now I know we told you that, but we changed our mind. So it's not. I know. One thing that we didn't talk about that I want to throw out there really quick is that, and this is something I'm still looking into and I'm really concerned and a little confused about, is workman's comp. Mm -hmm. So as I told you, and you were surprised to hear, and I was surprised to hear, even though we do workman's comp waivers and it's like an 18-point checklist and this and that and the other, and they have to sign their name in the blood of a virgin and all that good (laughs) stuff, um, my attorney said that she suggested that we still carry workman's comp. Because of our industry and that because bites are so now my question to her was, well, that doesn't that kind of throw a flag that we're operating more with employee on the employee model? Well, you know, she kind of hem hawed around about it. Well, then I went to my insurance agent, my broker who I've got my liability policy through and everything. And I talked to him. Yeah. And he was like, no, no, no. He's like, no, you don't need workman's comp. And I was like, well, you know, I've, I've gotten three different stories here and I need to know for sure what I need to do. Apparently for each state, there is a state. Yes. yes. And he said, you need to call this number and there's a document and you can't make copies. Mm-hmm. You have to have a document for every single contractor that you have that they have to fill out mm-hmm. to actually to, for it to be actually. Yeah. Yes. Legal. Yes. So not the same form that business owners can do when they have employees and you want to make yourself exempt from being included yeah. in your payroll, being included in that workman's comp. Now, Beth, Because, you know, I've done interviews on almost every single topic under the sun having to do with this. I'm going to quote for those listening and then we got to wrap it up. I specifically asked my insurance broker and he helped me write this blog and quote unquote, I said, I'm wondering if I should purchase workman's comp to protect myself and my ICs. Okay. 
He said, the above question comes up often in pet sitting businesses. There is not a yes or no answer to this question. Now, let me keep in mind that this is just another opinion, okay? We have been involved in all aspects of workman's compensation and ICs. You have a couple of worries to consider on this subject. There's three. Number one, unemployment. The states are cracking down on anyone who pays 1099 versus W-2 because they do not pay unemployment, and the states are looking for any additional money they can get. So they are the government entity that strikes first. Interestingly enough, side note, a lot of the audits I saw were from the state, not even the feds. Number two, then you have a workman's comp people saying that your ICs are employees because you needed to have workman's compensation. And then number three, then you have ICs who want to be ICs to get more pay until they're hurt. And then they want to be the employee of the month. Right. You should take a look at how the government uses to determine what the person is, an employee or IC. And normally the first few questions are what they get to go by. So that's a lot of like kind of, it's, it's similar to what you were just kind of saying, but you know, I think the bottom line is, is that it's not black and white, it's gray. And yeah. uh, you, to be a responsible business owner, you need to do the research. And then you need to ask yourself, how much risk are you willing to take? And yes. the only person in this entire world that can answer that is you. Yes. End of story. That's it. And that's all she wrote. <laughs> Where's that fat lady singing? I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Beth, thank you so much for being here today. I You're just welcome. adore you. And thank you for being so bold and forthright with all the things that you learned. I'm, as you know, going to make this a podcast. I'll also include your website and things so people can check you out. And I think that's it. So keep on it rocking. On. It's been fun. Yeah, for sure. I'll keep you updated. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for jumping with Bella in your business. For more information, free articles, free coaching sessions, and more, go to jumpconsulting.net. And remember, Bella's got your shoot.